Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today is still a day of grace. God is calling sinners unto repentance and living faith. May we open the door of our heart. Stay tuned to the Echoes of Mercy broadcast brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association. This is Pastor Alvin Holmgren. I serve in the ministry of the Apostolic Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, our loving Heavenly Father, we come into thy presence in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We desire to thank Thee that Thou hast called us by the gospel and brought us into the fellowship of Your church. We ask, Father, that Thy blessing would be upon us as we this day also come into Thy presence in the name of Jesus. Grant unto us, O God of our salvation, that being justified freely, by thy only begotten Son, we may ever trust in thy loving kindness, that we may know the fullness of thy forgiveness for all of our sins, and that we may live in the Spirit. And as the entrance of thy word gives light, implanted into our hearts, that we, enlightened and sanctified thereby, may bring forth by patient endurance those uh, fruits of the Spirit that uh, are desirable in our lives. Father of mercy, look upon us in our nation and grant unto our leaders such a love of the truth and a purity of heart as will make them worthy to bear the office and to receive thy favor. God of all comfort, we commend to thy loving care our homes and our families. Be thou the refuge, the solace, and the shield of us all, and a very present help in time of trouble. Open to us the Holy Scriptures also today, so that we may grow in the understanding of thy will. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. As the basis for our meditation today, I'm going to read from the epistle that Paul wrote to the Galatians. I will read from chapter 1, beginning with verse 6 and concluding with verse 20. And I read in the Lord's name, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure 
I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Amen. These are thy holy words, Holy Father. Sanctify us through thy truth. Thy word is everlasting truth. Amen. In this letter that Apostle Paul addressed to the churches of Galatia ranks equal in importance to the one that he wrote to the church at Rome. They are both doctrinal in nature. Each one establishes a clarity of doctrine that behooves all preachers of the gospel to study prayerfully. We need to pray that we could develop a familiarity with these and with all scriptural writings because they form the foundation of all that we are to say and to do in our ministry. It is important for all of us, preachers of the Word and all other members of the body of Christ, to experience what Jesus called new birth, and that experience is given us from above. Although we stress doctrine, biblical doctrine, the doctrine taught in the Christian church, is not presented as the basis of our salvation. By that I mean the simple following of church doctrine as an outward practice does not necessarily ensure salvation. Doctrine is intended to lead us to Christ. He is the one who has provided salvation for us. Listen to this statement uh, that Jesus made to the people of his day. He said, Ye search the scriptures, because in them ye think that ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. In the sixth chapter of the Hebrews epistle, we read, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. This is not intended to convey the understanding that we are to abandon these six principles. They have had their place in leading us to Christ, and he is the perfection that is referred to in the first of the three verses that I just read. These epistles contain what the reformer Martin Luther called the ABCs of Christianity. However, Luther also warned the people of his day because he observed that so many of the hearers, once having heard the gospel, think that they understand it so well and want to rush on to something else. The root cause of this kind of behavior is that human reason prefers the righteousness of the law to the righteousness that is of faith. The righteousness of the law is more attractive. It appeals to our human tendency to deny our total unworthiness before God. It is inherent in our corrupt nature that we want to develop some measure of merit through which we can please God. But the righteousness of faith sets aside all merit of our own 
and it embraces only that of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fundamentals of Christianity are revealed, experienced, and understood by faith. Listen to these words, again quoting from Luther. He said, In my heart reigns this one article, faith in my dear Lord Jesus Christ, who is the beginning, the middle, and the end of whatever spiritual and divine thoughts I may have, whether by day or by night. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Now let us return to the first four verses of the Bible text that I read. Verse 6 begins with these words, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. As I said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. We must observe here that Paul makes reference to the fact that it was not only the gospel that he had preached unto them that was in question. It was the very same gospel that they had also received and believed. <clears throat> Let's pay particular attention to the manner in which Paul approaches the subject of their apparent defection from the gospel, from the message they had heard from him and that they had also believed. He began with the words, I marvel, like he was surprised. Maybe a more accurate word would be, he was astonished. Yes, he also could have been perplexed by what had taken place in their fellowship even though the matter before him was so serious, really critical, he dealt patiently with these Galatian believers. He did not treat them harshly. He treated them like a loving and concerned father. He pointed out their error, and yes, he did reprove them. Then he turned his attention to those who had seduced them and had deceived them. Notice his denunciation of these men. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be cursed. And as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, <clears throat> let him be accursed. In the fifth chapter of the same letter, Paul makes two more pointed statements regarding the deceivers. The first statement is this, He that troubles you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And the second follows, I would, that they were even cut off which trouble you. Notice that Paul did not only say that this life-giving gospel had been preached to them, but it also had been accepted and believed by them. From these statements, we can see how seriously the apostle considers this defection that had taken place among them. In order for the apostle to wish a curse upon these Judaizing teachers, he must have had a very sound basis for this harsh judgment. Now let's look at how Paul tried to clarify the problems. To do so, I am going to a different chapter in the same epistle where Paul drew on the part that Abraham played in God's overall plan. He said, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of the faith, the same are the children of Abraham. 
And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached beforehand the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Then that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith, but the man that does them shall live by them, meaning that he shall obtain life through them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 14. It is time now for us to return to the beginning of our text and look at the manner in which Paul tried to reopen both the ears and the hearts of these believers who had been deceived to the extent that they forfeited the liberty that they formerly had in Christ. He reminded them how Christ had been preached among them in such clarity of word and spirit that it was as though he had actually been crucified among them. He continued in this tender and calling voice, trying to reach their hearts by saying, I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed labor upon you in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. You have not injured me at all, You did me no wrong. You know how through the infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first, and my temptation, which was in my flesh, you did not despise nor reject. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ. Then he asked this heart-searching question, Where is then the blessedness you spoke of. For I bear you record that, if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have you seen or heard of such love? Such love and attachment to the servant who had preached the gospel to a fortunate people. Listen closely now as Paul pleads further with them. He said, Am I therefore become your enemy, because I tell you the truth? This only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be in vain? My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? You will remember that in the latter part of the text that we read today, the apostle outlined his call to the ministry even referring to the type of life he had lived before, that is, the life that he lived before he had the encounter with Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. This led to his experience of new birth, not on the way to Damascus, but in Damascus. Maybe you are wondering why I am being so specific when I say that the new birth took place in Damascus and not on the road to Damascus. Perhaps you think that God is not so much concerned at what geographic location we happen to be at the time of our entrance into his kingdom. 
No, not at all. The kingdom, however, is not limited to a certain house number and street designation and then the city or state and country. God does not only lead us on the way to new birth, as he did Saul of Tarsus before his birth experience, but he affects the experience of new birth within our hearts. And I want to cite Paul's experience as an example of what I am trying to say. As we all remember, Saul's destination on his final persecution mission was Damascus. But it was interrupted by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the one whose followers Saul was persecuting. Jesus spoke to him audibly from heaven, asking, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul responded with two questions. First he asked, Who are you, Lord? And then he asked, What do you want me to do? Jesus replied to his questions, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. You will remember that God then sent Ananias, a disciple who lived in Damascus, to minister to Saul. The Lord knew Ananias, he knew where to find Ananias, and he also knew Saul's temporary address in Damascus. He told Ananias to go to the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prays. When Ananias entered Saul's fasting and prayer chamber, he laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, who appeared to you on the way as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is written that immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Before the Lord returned to heaven, on the fortieth day after his resurrection from the dead, he established his kingdom here on earth. He left the keys to this kingdom with its citizens here below. He gave them the authority and the power through the Holy Spirit to comfort troubled sinners with the forgiveness of their sins. Not only did he instruct them to go into all of the world and preach the gospel, but he equipped them with his word and with authority to comfort burdened sinners with the assurance of the forgiveness of his sins, all in the power of the Holy Spirit that he had breathed upon them. If you are not familiar with this part of the ministry that Jesus gave to his disciples, I would like to suggest that you read about the Lord's first meeting with his disciples in the evening of the day of resurrection. This is recorded in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 9 through 23. And then I would also ask you to look at the Gospel of Matthew in uh, chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, and again in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. These will clarify additionally the reference that I have been referring to here. It is apparent that these false teachers who had deceived the Galatians were not Paul's friends. They were his enemies, and they were the enemies of Jesus Christ and his gospel as well. They challenged Paul's authority as an apostle. They did what they could to put his character and reputation in question. In the first chapter of this epistle, Paul endeavored once again to establish his authority as a true apostle of Jesus Christ. We turn now to verses 10, 11, and 12 in the first chapter of this epistle, part of which we read in the beginning of this broadcast. Paul said, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me 
is not after man. For I neither received it from man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. These verses contain a good lesson for us today also. Where do we stand as far as our accountability before God is concerned? Paul's writings were consistent. He did not allow himself to accommodate the thoughts and the desires of men. We can see that it was his chief concern that he would be faithful to God. We know that no man can serve two masters, as Jesus said. If we allow ourselves to please men, it will turn out to be at the expense of our faithfulness to God. We will then be found in an untenable position because there is great danger that we will have departed from the faith. In the last letter Paul wrote before his death, while he was waiting martyrdom, that is the second letter he wrote to Timothy, Paul said, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but eat to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. Amen. And now the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. reach you through his word today. Will you make room in your heart for him? God loves you. 
He wants to bring you joy and peace in the Lord. This program is brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association and made possible through your prayers and financial support. As God has blessed you, please remember this ministry. If you would like a tape of this message, please refer to it by the date of broadcast. Send your request to Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Our mailing address again is Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Today is still a day of grace. God is calling sinners unto repentance and living faith. May we open the door of our heart. Stay tuned to the Echoes of Mercy broadcast brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association. This is Pastor Alvin Holmgren. I serve in the ministry of the Apostolic Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington. Let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ, we come into thy presence this day. We ask thee, Father, to grant unto us a true understanding of thy word, so that we may be guided in all judgment and be shown the way that leads to everlasting life. Glorify thy name in all the earth and send forth servants to proclaim the gospel with wisdom, love, and boldness, so that people out of every nation might call upon thy name and be saved. And as righteousness exalts a nation, and sin brings thy reproach, keep our country and our people within thy care, that honor and honesty may be upheld, and that all lawlessness and rebellion may be put down. Guard and defend our homes, that parents may be kept in the bonds of love and godliness, and may rule their children well, nourishing them in truth and in righteousness. Be present then this day. Enlighten us through the Spirit and give us that unction that will enable us to declare thy word of truth aright. Heavenly Father, who didst not spare thy Son, but freely delivered him up for us all, mercifully grant unto us these petitions and all other petitions that are acceptable in thy sight. Hear us, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For our meditation today, I'm going to read from the letter that Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians. I will read from chapter 5, the first seven verses, and I read in the Lord's name. 
Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Amen. These are thy holy words, Holy Father. Sanctify us through thy truth. Thy word is everlasting truth. Amen. In our previous message, based on the first chapter of Apostle Paul's letter to the Galatians, we devoted our time to the author's concern over the departure of the Galatian Christians from the gospel they had so gladly received through his ministry among them. You will remember that he marveled at how they had been deceived by Judaizing teachers who brought another gospel than the one he, Paul, had preached. Paul said that it was not really another gospel, but those that came after him perverted the gospel of Christ. What was this perversion? They added the works of the law to justifying grace of God in Christ Jesus. It is inherent in human nature to want to earn salvation, at least a part of it. In other words, we are works-oriented. It was that way in the day of Jesus, and it is still much the same today. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 28 and 29, we read about the people who came to Jesus with this question. They asked, What shall we do to work the works of God? And the Lord answered, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom God has sent. Hardly an acceptable answer to those who are work-oriented. The root cause of this kind of behavior is that our carnal nature, our human reason, prefers the righteousness of the law to what the Bible calls the righteousness of faith. And why is that so? The righteousness of the law is more understandable. It says, This do, and you shall live. It appeals to our very strong human tendency toward rejecting the Bible truth that we are all totally unworthy to come before God with any merit of our own. It is in our corrupt nature to want to develop some measure of worth with which to please God. On the other hand, the righteousness of faith sets aside all our own merit. It embraces only the merit of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fundamentals of Christianity are revealed, experienced, and comprehended by faith. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Now before we go any further, I'd like to share a statement that Luther made, and it is his own personal testimony. This is what he said, In my heart reigns this one article, Faith in my dear Lord Jesus Christ the beginning, the middle, and the end of whatever spiritual and divine thoughts I may have, whether by day or by night. Now with this brief review of last week's message, we will proceed to the verses that I just read 
as the basis for today's meditation. Chapter 5 in the Galatians epistle begins with these words, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There are two key words that command our attention in this verse. The first word is liberty, and the second word is bondage. These words set the tone. They portray conditions that are totally opposite to each other. First, we will investigate the word liberty. In our nation today, we hear much about liberty, what we refer to as civil liberty, the liberty that God has granted us and is provided for under the Constitution of our United States. We value that liberty highly. It has been acquired at a price, purchased by the sacrifices of many who have gone before us, and preserved by countless men and women during the 225 years since our nation was founded. And at present, we are once again engaged in a war, in a conflict to keep our country free and our citizens safe from those who have declared us their enemy. We value this liberty and thank God for it. As Christians, we are encouraged to pray for our president and other members of our government. We ask God to give them wisdom so that they will be able to govern well and overcome those who seek to destroy us and our way of life. But it is not civil liberty that Paul is here writing about. Neither is it the kind of liberty that some describe as carnal or fleshly liberty. By that is meant liberty for the flesh to satisfy its sinful impulses and desires. In this connection, I prefer to use the word license rather than liberty. Our liberty in Christ is not freedom or license to live in sin. Those who look at our liberty in Christ in this way are ignorant of Christian liberty. When we use our liberty in Christ to live after the flesh, we cast aside the Bible and its teachings. In Apostle Peter's writings, we are told that we are free, but we are not to use our liberty for a cloak of maliciousness or wickedness, but as the servants of the Lord. The Bible tells us that if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if we mortify the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit, we shall live. But it is not this kind of misuse of our liberty in Christ that Paul is writing about. He is dealing with exchanging or abandoning this priceless liberty for another kind of bondage, a bondage that is more difficult to recognize than becoming a slave to fleshly sins, such as Paul describes in the latter part of this chapter from which our text is drawn. He mentions many such fleshly sins, adultery, fornication, idolatry, witchcraft, and oh so many more. The problem in Galatia, however, centered around the doctrine of works righteousness, supplanting the work of Christ with works of our own, with our feeble efforts. Instead of being satisfied with the perfect redemptive work of Jesus Christ, those Judaizing teachers simply would not let go of their work righteousness and rest entirely on the merit of the Savior. As a consequence, they forfeited the righteousness that alone avails before God. Yes, my friends, the liberty that is in question here is a far better and greater liberty. It is the liberty with which Christ has made us free, not from material bonds or political tyranny, 
but from the bondage of sin and the judgment that God placed upon sin even before Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. We all know that their disobedience caused sin to enter into the world and death resulted from that sin. Where then is this liberty to be found? It is to be found in Christ Jesus. When we believe in him, as is revealed in the gospel, and receive the forgiveness of our sins and the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we are given freedom of heart and freedom of conscience, a freedom that even delivers us from the wages of our sin. As a result, we are at the same time free from the law's severe judgment. We are delivered from the power of death and the devil. Even the gates of hell are closed for us. Jesus said, If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. With our human reason, it seems that we cannot properly evaluate this gift. My listening friend, do you appreciate the blessing of having received the full forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life? It is with good reason that Paul urges us to be watchful so that we may remain steadfast in faith, founded upon the one and only foundation for salvation, Jesus Christ the righteous. The warning given in this first verse concerns the danger of losing our liberty in Christ. The problem in Galatia was not licensed to live in outward sin, to transgress the commandments without being held accountable for our acts. It was on the opposite end of the spectrum. It was supplanting the work of Christ with works of their own. It was the placing of human works alongside of those of Christ, a mixing together of the perfect work of Christ with our impure works tainted by human effort. The two are not compatible. This is where the yoke of bondage enters into the picture. What is this yoke of bondage? It is the law. Why does Paul call the law a yoke? Why does he call it a yoke of bondage? It is the yoke of bondage because it requires much more of us than we can ever perform. It demands perfection in thought, in word, and in deed. And those who are under the law are also under its curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Why would God have given such a law if no one could abide its demands? Paul explained this matter in his letter to the Romans. Now we know that whatsoever things the law says, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God or brought under the judgment of God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin." Then the apostle went on to say, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption of that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. Romans 3, verses 21 to 26. Multitudes of Jews continue to follow the law, to use the law as their norm, their guide in daily life. 
they do the best they can, but we know that such a level of obedience is not good enough for God. The word is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and it pierces even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The people had a major problem. They labored under the law's relentless demands without success. Paul explained their dilemma in this way. Listen now as I read from the ninth chapter of the Romans epistle. The Gentiles who did not follow after or seek righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. In this very letter to the Galatians, Paul made the purpose of the law clear when he said, The scripture has concluded all under sin, that the promise of faith by Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for we are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. In spite of these clear fundamental teachings, it seems as though human reason continues to prefer the righteousness of the law to the righteousness of faith. It is only with God's help that we are able to disrobe ourselves, to discard all efforts of our own, and to depend entirely on Christ and to lean on his grace. The prevailing thought that is often expressed is that we do the best that we can and then add Christ's merit in those places where we may find ourselves lacking. This amounts to putting a new patch on an old garment, or filling new wine in old bottles, something that Jesus warned against. That was a major part of the problem in Galatia. These Judaizing teachers were not satisfied with what Paul had taught. They were of the mind that Paul had left out something important. The requirements of the law were lacking. All that we can say about them is to conclude that they were not satisfied with the grace of God. They would not accept the Gentile converts as being equal with them unless they were circumcised and kept the law of Moses. We can see why Paul likened the existing condition to being under a yoke of bondage. Apostle Peter took a firm stand on this matter too. In the book of Acts, chapter 15, we read about a meeting of the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. The purpose of the meeting was to decide this very matter. Should the Gentile converts be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses in order to be admitted to the fellowship? Peter was one of the spokesmen at this meeting. This is what he said. Men and brethren, you know that a while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the hearts, bear them witness and gave them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. <clears throat> this should be the conclusion to the whole matter. Paul is very firm in what he says 
regarding circumcision as an act of righteousness. So firm, in fact, that he said that Christ would not profit those who surrendered to circumcision if they did so under those conditions. He also added that such a person would become a debtor to the whole law and would have fallen from grace. But it is evident that Paul is not condemning circumcision itself. Circumcision is not injurious to the person who does not ascribe any particular spiritual significance to it. Neither are works injurious, provided we do not attach any justifying value to them. Paul does not say that works are objectionable, but to build one's hope of righteousness upon works is disastrous. In verse 6 of our text, Paul made his position very clear when he wrote, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. His intention is to make it clear that whether a man is circumcised or not is neither here nor there. He is not better for the one nor worse for the other. Neither would one or the other commend him to God. What then does commend us to God? Paul says that it is faith that works by love. Without faith, nothing else will do. Faith is a work of grace. It works by love, by love to God and by love to the brethren. And faith that works by love is all in all in Christianity. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul explained the relationship between grace and works by saying, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And now for the final verse, you did run well. Who hindered you that you should not obey the truth? The race in question is not the kind in which fellow believers compete with one another. Each of us is seeking the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give us at the last day. Let us obey the truth as we press together toward the mark, the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. May he lead us, guide us, and strengthen us so that we may be faithful unto death. Remember the words of Jesus, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. Amen. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Dear friend, perhaps God has reached you through his word today. Will you make room in your heart for him? God loves you. He wants to bring you joy and peace in the Lord. This program is brought to you by the Apostolic Lutheran Eastern Missionary Association and made possible through your prayers and financial support. As God has blessed you, please remember this ministry. If you would like a tape of this message, please refer to it by the date of broadcast. Send your request to Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Our mailing address again is Echoes of Mercy, Post Office Box 69, Hancock, Michigan, 49930. Thank you for your prayers and financial support.